Good morning. How are you guys today? I want you to turn over in the book of Romans. We're going to continue on today. We'll be in chapter three. Um, we are very blessed in so many different ways, aren't we? It has been a good week. We are surrounded by great people. And uh, the Lord is just, he's been very gracious to us and very kind. I was on the phone this morning. I'm just reminded this is for you too. When we get together during the week, we spend some time in prayer. And uh, a lot of times there may be prayer requests that come from, from you guys. Uh, please share those if you have those needs. You can put them in these boxes, uh, write them down, and, and we'll be reminded to pray for you. But when I was talking to another pastor this morning uh, from one of our local churches, they're just walking through some difficult times with sickness and specifically with his wife, and we were praying together. And, and I'm, just, I'm just reminded the devil is not happy about a lot of things that are happening. He is pretty ticked, as a matter of fact. And uh, he, would, he would just love to cause chaos and confusion, but we need to be covering one another in prayer, especially the body of Christ, not just our heritage family, but other churches around us. And so I'm just reminded of that today. So if there's specific requests you have, make sure that you let us know so that we can be in prayer for those. Would you do this for me today? If you're sitting uh, by yourself, I guess you can just tell you this to yourself, but if you're sitting next to somebody, won't you just look to them, look over to the left or to the right and say, I'm a mess. Would you do that? For some of you, you might need to say, I'm a bigger mess. It wouldn't surprise me if some of you were sitting beside somebody and they go, I know, I know. You know, as, as, we, um, as we sort of go into today, I think it's really good to be reminded here, Paul has been taking us through, and this is sort of that last part of, of, of this section where he's been talking to us about the fact that all of us are sinners and that all of us deserve God's wrath and judgment. And who was Paul writing to when he was writing this, this letter to the church at Rome? Who was he writing to? Believers? Believers? He was writing to believers. And so I was in a conversation earlier. It's almost like what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to deconstruct all of the pillars that they had set up, that they had valued, that they had held on to. And today, as we read, what we're going to end up seeing is we're going to see a, a picture of, of God's view of humanity outside of Christ. And... Uh, um, and it's going to be a pretty dark picture because that's, it seems like he's just been getting darker and darker and darker, not just towards those who don't know Christ, but the reality of those who claim to be followers of Christ are part of the family. And I think there's a lot of times we can set ourselves up and believe that we are good when we're not as good as we think that we are. And so as we read today, I think some of that maybe will make sense, but we want to be there in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. That's where we're going to be at today. And so if you would join me in the reading of the word, I will read this passage of scripture and then we'll continue on today. But it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys today. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here because, I mean, you, you just, you want to know more. You, you want to fellowship with the family. Maybe some of you are here and you've come in the door today because somebody's invited you. Maybe you're curious about things. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're not a believer. But this is what I know, that if we'll listen today, not to me, 
But if you'll be receptive to what the Holy Spirit has to say, I know the reading of God's word will not, re, will not come back void. I know that. I know that for certain. And I believe that today God wants to speak to every one of us that are here, regardless if the Gators or FSU lost yesterday. So anyway, I just will put that in there. So Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. This is what he says. And Paul writes, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, not some people, not many people, not a lot of people, but all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of, of what? Sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Boy, isn't that a picture? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. And obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Did you, did you hear what it said? For no one can be ever made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law, God's word, the law shows simply how sinful we are. Let's pray together. Father, the reading of your word, may we hear May we be receptive. Maybe we be willing to apply today. That's what I ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said earlier, that it's, it's almost like what's happening here is God gives us this view of humanity outside of Christ. And, and it would be whether, it would be like we are, we are taken into, uh, God takes us in as, as almost like a criminal into an interrogation room. You've, you've watched some of these, these TV shows where they have this interrogation room and they've got the lights shining down and they've got the guy that's, you know, he's taking, asking all the questions. And it's there in that room where the lights are shining down and the questions are being asked that we come to an understanding and a realization truly how sinful we are, how depraved we are how wicked we are. And it's in that place of recognizing our sin and depravity that we come to understand the significance of God's, God's grace and mercy and, lo and love. And so here's Paul. He asked this question, should we then conclude that we are better than others? Remember, again, who is he talking to? He's talking to the believers, the followers of Christ, supposedly that he's writing at Rome. And remember that Paul had not even been to Rome. He had just heard about their works. And so here's Paul. He's back in, he's back in Corinth and he's writing this letter in anticipation of one day visiting. And so prior to getting there, he writes these words. And also remember, remember who Paul was and, and everything that he is, character, who he was prior to coming to know Christ. Remember all of those things as we read. So he says, should we then conclude that we are better than others? And his response was what? No. So he asked the question again, and we saw questions last week. Should we, should we conclude that we're better than others? No. I mean, even though Paul knew and they knew that they were God's chosen people, the Jews that, 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 they had, that had already been established, that they were greater than the other nations so that they would be a light to the world, 
Paul's response was, no, you're, you're not, you're, you're, you may be greater, but you're not better. Because all Jews and all Gentiles are under the curse of sin. We're all sinners. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. And before we go any further, I want you to underline, circle the word sin there in verse 9. I think that's really important. I want to explain that. I think we talk about that just for a second. Here it is. This is the first time we see the word sin mentioned in the book of Romans. This word would be used multiple times throughout this book, but this is the first time that we see it here. And the word that is used here in the Greek is, is a word called harmatia, which means literally to miss the mark. It's almost like to set up a target, and in that target there's a bullseye and an archer. He pulls back his bow. He shoots only to miss that target. And that's what Paul is referencing here, that God has set up a target, and all of humanity has missed the mark. Now, obviously, there are some that maybe get closer than others, but we all miss the mark. We're all are sinners. I mean, there are some that may be better than others because, I mean, of certain actions that they may, be, that may, they may participate in or they may do or things that they may do or abilities that they may have, but all of us still miss the mark. It's, it's like, let's just say that you got myself and you got Dan and you got Troy. And let's just say that we're going to go out to the, to, the, to the field and we're going to set up some targets and we're going to shoot at those targets with bows and arrows. I don't know if any of us do that, Troy, if you're good at that or not good at that. or I don't know, Dan. But anyway, we go to set up and we get, okay, we're going to give each other, each one of us are going to get 10 arrows. And our goal is to try to hit that target as many times as we can. So let's just say that, that I start off and, and man, I pull back the bow and 10 times I shoot the arrow and I hit the target one time. And the guys are laughing at me. <laughs> See, Zed, you're not that good. I'm like, well, I know that. I'm not, you know, I'm not good. So, so then, then Troy gets up and, and he pulls back and he shoots 10 times and he gets two arrows in the target. So he hits two out of 10 and, and they're like, well, Troy's like, well, I'm better than you are. And I'm like, all right, I know that, Troy. I know you're better than me. And then Dan stands up. Well, Dan just didn't get one and he just doesn't get two, but Dan, Dan hits the target nine times out of 10. And Dan's like, I am Dan the man, okay? <laughs> Dan the man, I am. Sam, I am Dan the man, okay, right? So anyway, but and, and in the midst of that, the reality is that Dan, yeah, Dan did better than the rest of us, but he still did what? He still missed the mark. Now, to make it a little bit more clear and a little bit more life-changing, let's think of it in this perspective. I mean, it's one thing to shoot an arrow. It's another thing to, to be out on a boat. And while you're out on that boat with some guys, you're maybe fishing or having just a a good time out on the boat, and you can see the land at a far, far distance, but all of a sudden the boat begins to take on water. And let's just say Dan and Troy and I are together again, and this time, this time Troy, Troy says, is the boat's taking on water? I can't swim. And so he clings to that boat. Dan and I can swim, but, and, and so, but it's a long way to get to the shore. The boat ends up going down. Troy dies. Everybody say, oh, Troy dies. It's terrible. Dan takes off. I mean, Dan's a good guy. I mean, he's, he's healthy. He's in shape. Dan makes it a little bit of the way, but Dan ends up sinking and he dies. I mean, even though he made it further than Troy, Dan dies. Everybody say, oh, oh, it's terrible. Dan, Dan passed away. 
than me. I mean, man, I've been on the I've been on the swim team. I mean, you know, Jackie, I'm just I'm the, I'm the person that's hitting it, you know, and I, I'm I'm in shape. And man, I begin to swim, and I'm I'm. What are y'all laughing at? I'll deal with you when I get home. <laughs> and so I'm off swimming and I get to within 100 yards and I can see the shore. But I can't make it. But I made it further than Troy and I made it further than Dan, but I still can't make it to the shore. The end result is still the same. I die. Yeah, I need that. Yeah, and you know, it's the same way with all of us. We're incapable of saving ourselves. We all miss the mark. And that's what Paul said the world is like. And remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people that didn't think that maybe they had missed the mark, that they had it all together. And we're going to read it next week where Paul even emphasizes and makes it very clear that, that all of us are sinners and all of us fall short, that all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. But there's another word. There's not just the word sin and harmatia, but there's also another word for sin that's called transgressions. The Greek word is parabasis, which means a willful or deliberate violation, an act of disobedience. It's like God has set up the boundaries and yet we deliberately break them. It's like telling your kids to stay out of the cookie jar. You turn, you walk out of the room, and guess what they do? They go straight to the cookie jar. It's just what they do. It's a willful act of disobedience. They don't really care what you said. They're going to do what they want to do. And what that is sins missing the mark, but it's not just missing the mark, but it's purpose, purposely, willingly, fully violating a boundary that has been set. And Paul goes on to say in verse 10 there, he says, as the scriptures say, and I want you to make note of that, underline that, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And I want you to underline that as the scriptures say, because I think it's very important that we make note here of the fact that Paul knew the word. Paul knew the word of God. We're going to see that in just a second. He knew the word. Paul just didn't know the scriptures, but he had studied the scriptures. He had spent days and hours and hours studying and learning the scripture, not only from his parents. And let me just say this. This is just a side note. It's not going to cost anything. But the church is not the primary discipler in the lives of children. It's parents. We are the primary disciples in the life of our children. It is not just about bringing your kids to church, but it's about raising your kids up so that you teach them the word, that they come to know the word, that not only know the word, but they know the one for whom the word was written. And Paul knew the word. He had probably been taught the word by his parents. He sat under the teachings of Gamaliel, which is the prominent rabbi and Pharisee. And here, as we read Paul's letters and his writings, time and time again, we see Paul referring to as it is written, or so the word says. And Paul, he, he, he had a handle on the word. And many times he went back to the Old Testament. And he not only read the word and he studied the word, but he, but he gained knowledge about, about God, the history of God, as well as the heart of God. But Paul wasn't the only one that knew the scriptures because we know that Jesus knew the scriptures. We know that in the, in the New Testament there, when, when Jesus was speaking, I mean, how many times did he say that it, as it is written or so the scriptures say? You remember the time in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? And he would say that, use the word, it was the word of God thinking back 
It was the word of God as the scripture has said. He would use that um, to defend and defeat Satan in his, in, his, in his ploys. Thinking back, remember what Paul said last week, the greatest resource that we have is God's children. You remember what he said? It was the revelation of God, the oracles of God, the word of God, the scriptures. So it was. But it's not just Paul and it's not just Jesus that knows the scriptures, but the devil does too, doesn't he? Satan knows the scriptures. And from the beginning, he's tried to destroy, distort the scriptures. He's tried to, to, to confuse and bring about doubt to accomplish everything that, that he's wanted. And so yet we see here in verse 10, Paul referring back to the Old Testament. And he goes back to the book of Psalms chapter 14. He's what he's going to refer to. So why don't you turn over there or we'll have it up on the screen. I want you to see what, what uh, Psalms 14 says because he's referring back to this. And in Psalms 14, chapter, chapter 14, verses 1 through um, 1 and following through 4, he says this, Only fools say in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down on the, from the heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away and all have become corrupt. No one does Good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. And look at what he says there in verse 2. Lord, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. And so here's the picture of God looking down on humanity, scanning the crowds, looking for a righteous person, only to find no one. Back in Romans in verse 11, he says, no one is wise. No one is seeking after God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And you go, okay, wait a minute, Sid. All right, hold up just a second. I mean, back that horse up. I mean, what about, what about somebody like Billy Graham? Okay, I know he's dead brother, Billy. You know, I don't know how that goes. You know, I remember they used to say that. But, but Billy Graham, wasn't he a good guy? He was a good guy, but he wasn't good enough. What about Mother Teresa? Well, she may have been a good woman, but she wasn't good enough. What about Brian Broom? I know he's a good guy, but he's just not good enough. Brian Williams? No, he's not good enough. And I'm not good enough. Let me tell you something. Never put a pastor on the pedestal, people. Never put a person that stands in this place on the pedestal to think that they're better than everybody else because they're not. Man, I put my pants on every day just like you do. I deal with the same troubles and same struggles and the same temptations and trials that you guys do. All of us are one step away from stupid. And here he's saying, he isn't saying here that there isn't any good in us. What he's saying is that whatever good is in us isn't good enough to satisfy God's demands for righteousness. That sin has impacted every area, every fiber of who we, we are. We are sinful. And that regardless of how good we might be, our good apart from the righteousness of God, from Jesus Christ, is not good enough, period. Story's over. It's just not good enough. And you might say, but come on. I mean, man, I've, I've done a lot of good things in life. I mean, I've not had all these troubles like some people have had. I mean, I've helped out. I've been on mission trips. I mean, I've served in church. I mean, I, I've even been out on the first impression teams. I roll that sign or I invite people and I smile as they come in and you're telling me that I'm not good enough. You're just not good enough. Regardless of how good you might think that you are. 
And it's not until we realize that our goodness isn't good enough that we can come to the place of recognizing how significant the sacrifice that Jesus made was. Are you with me? Until we come to that point, up until that point that we recognize, until we come to recognize, we can't grasp the depth of God's love and his, and his mercy and the sacrifice that was paid on Calvary. And so Paul is painting this dark picture, hopefully at some point, that those listening, those apart, whether it was then or now, that we would come to understand the depth of God's love and grace. And see, that target that we talked about that God had set up, you know, that target that had been intentionally placed, it was intentionally placed outside of our reach on purpose because if we could hit the target and if we could obtain it, why in the world would we need Jesus? We wouldn't need him. Maybe you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when in Matthew 5, when Jesus was talking about, when, when they were asking, you know, what do we need to do? You know, how, how do we serve? How do we live? And Jesus said, you know, be perfect just as my Father in heaven is perfect. And you say, okay, all right, you've gone too far. That's impossible. I know. See, there's really two standards. There's God's standard of righteousness and, and then there's our standard of, of righteousness. And it's unfair because there's no way that we can obtain God's standard of perfection. But isn't that why God provided a way of escape for us? That we could come to that place of recognizing our sin and choose to trust Jesus because we recognize how much that we actually need him. Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice. And you might say, well, that's just not fair. I don't think we really want fair, people. I don't think that's what we want. You know, back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, talking about righteousness, um, it was there that the Lord had something to say about our righteousness. And I know, that it's, I know that it's a dark, dark picture and it's a little crude, but the reality is what it is. I mean, I didn't make this up. This is what it says. But he talks about the fact that our righteousness are as filthy rags and in the Hebrew, what he was referring to is the rags that were used to stop the flow of a women's menstrual cycle. That's dirty. And that's what he was referring, our righteousness, the things that we hold on to, the things that we trust, the goodness that we have. He says that your righteousness is like that of filthy rags. That's the righteousness that we try to produce on our own. And there is no pass. In other words, we don't get a, okay, we're going to pass, but all of us are in the same boat. And in verse 11, he says, no one is, is truly wise. No one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. But all have turned away, or which it means to literally take a, a detour, which is a reflection back to what we read in Isaiah chapter 53. Where it said all of us are like sheep, we've, we've gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. And what a sheep does is it's the picture of a sheep that's intentionally strayed off the path. And Paul goes on to write that all have become useless. That word useless there means, to, means spoiled. It means soured or overripe. I, I don't know about you, but I love to go in the backyard. I've got different types of fruit trees and bushes and, 
you know, things that during the year at different times I can go out, whether it's a pineapple or a fig or a, a nectarine or a peach or a pear, or whatever it may be. And I love to go in the backyard or grapes and to pick it off the, the tree. And the picture here is that here's God coming to earth, by the way, the creator of, of heavens and earth. And he's looking for fruit and he can't find anything that's worth eating. That what he does find, it's rotten, it's spoiled. And he goes on to say at the end of verse 12 that no one does good, not a single one. It's just this continual picture of darkness, worthlessness. We can do an awful lot of good things. I mean, you know, we can help the less fortunate. I mean, we can send clothes and other items to Liberia. We can send tarps to, to Haiti. We can help with a mobile dental clinic, and we can help people with dental. We can help people with food. And there's lots of different good things that we can do and things that we ought to celebrate and we ought to take advantage of as opportunities of ministry to, to, to open up doors of ministry to people that are hurting but as I said earlier, there's two standards of goodness. There's our standard of goodness, and there's God's standard of goodness. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Let's just say, let's just say that, that here's God, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let's just say that um, the God who created everything, the mountains, the skies, the birds, the fish of the sea, he's the one who created you and me. That sort of rhymed. Um, this, is the, this is our Heavenly Father who is majestic and powerful. Our Heavenly Father who created the expanse of the galaxies and the universe and everything that's within it, all of space. And here is earth that he's also created. And in the midst of the, the vastness of all that he's created, earth itself looks like a little speck of dust. And on that earth, on that speck of dust is 7.8 billion people. Wow. And that there are those that say, God, I don't want anything to do with him. And you know, doesn't really care. I don't want anything to do with God's plan. Now, I don't want to take this too far, but let me just, let me just say, let's just put you in the position of God and say that you are the one that created everything. That your creation decided to rebel against you. Can you imagine how tempting it would to be to go, Oof, I don't care. I'm going to rebel against you. My attitude would be, you're out of here. I mean, how, how tempting would that be? And yet we serve a God who is powerful and, uh, and incredibly uh, majestic, yes, also incredibly kind and generous and unconditional in his love and patient towards us. And instead of destroying us, you know what he did is he says, he came in the form of man and he walked among us and he would eventually come to give his life and die on a cross because he knew that it, was be, it would be his sacrifice that would be sufficient for our sins to pay that price. That was the only solution to the problem. And yet that's what he would do. And so here's Paul, before he gives us the good news, he continues to focus on this bad news. He goes to every extent to make sure we understand the darkness of our sin and that our hopelessness that we live in without Christ before he gives us the rest of the story. And so here's Paul from the language that be, we might would be say is conducive to that of a courtroom being used to that. Now all of a sudden it's like it's moving into the doctor's office. 
there's going to be a little bit of different language that's used here. And I don't know about you guys, but growing up, when you would go to the doctor, even now, if you go to the doctor, there's a few things that they'll do. They'll say, okay, let's take his blood pressure. So take your blood pressure. They'll take your temperature. And then at some point in time, they'll open up and they'll say, open up and say, ah, ah. And they'll take that little, that wood thing and they'll stick it on your tongue and hold it down and they'll go, ooh, you know. You know, usually you can tell when you're sick by just the response of it. Oh, it doesn't look too good in there. You know, it's amazing what you can discover, not only about our physical condition, but our spiritual condition with what goes on in the mouth. And look at what he says here in verse 13. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. I, I don't know if, if you know what the smell of a decaying body smells like, but it's a stench that you'll never forget. You'll never forget that. And look at the word picture that he's using. The talk is foul like a stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies and snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. And it's almost like he moves from head to toe, from the mouth to the feet. And I don't know if you know this or not, but what comes out of the mouth is an indication of what's going on in the hearts. Is it, is it fair to say that one of the greatest sins today of those on the inside is how we use our language. Is that fair to say? I mean, can you imagine how many relationships have been destroyed because of the tongue? How many, how many churches have been split or hindered because of the tongue? I mean, instead of using our words to to, to build up, we tear down. And instead of using our, our words to encourage, we discourage. And it's likened to a poison flowing from out of the heart of bitterness and jealousy and rage and anger and greed. Just consider how much wickedness is done because of the tongue. And I, I'm not going to go there, but if you want to find out what the Scripture has to say in Jesus, the brother of James, or James, the brother of Jesus, what he had to say about the tongue, go and look at James chapter 3 and read some of the descriptions and how he, how he describes it there. I think it would be good to do that. I'm not going to do that now. But the tongue is a dangerous instrument. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 15. They rush to commit murder. If you remember, it's not just the act of murder, but it's also the condition and the motivation of the heart. We can commit murder in our heart not because of the fact we kill somebody, but the way we think about somebody, our thoughts. He goes on to say destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace and they have no fear of God at, at all. And we find that quoted several times. You know, how's your peace factor today? I mean, if you were to, you were to put your, your, your peace on a scale and it would be rated between one and 10, where's your Where's your peace at? I mean, do you, do you have a sense of peace and rest because of Jesus? Or is there a sense of unsettledness? And so here it is, Paul showing that the whole world is guilty, sinful, and headed towards destruction. And I, I said this at the beginning, but, and these are hard, but here is God giving, this, giving us this view of humanity and what it looks like, what we look like apart from from Christ, but aren't we so thankful that that's not the ending of the story? That's not it. 
But before we get to that place, we've got to come to understand the depths of our sinfulness and man, what our sin does and how, how evil and how wicked it is before we can ever begin to appreciate the goodness and the graciousness of God's sacrifice and what he did. Before we can ever get to the place to appreciate the gift, we've got to understand how desperately needy we truly are. And then he finishes up with these words. Obviously, the law applies to, to those whom it was, it was given. Who was the law given to? It was given to the Israelites. It was given to the children of God. You know, why is it that we want to hold people accountable for something that they themselves don't believe in? You wonder why people who don't know Jesus act the way they do? It's because they don't know Jesus. You hear me? Why is it that we want to judge somebody by the law when they don't even understand the law, don't agree with the law? And yet we as believers, we want to hold them to something that we ourselves can't even hold on to. So obviously the law applies to those to whom the law was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the purpose of the law, the law was never intended to make us right, to make us righteous, but it was intended to expose our sinfulness, to reveal our sin. See, the law is like a mirror. The law is like a mirror for both God and man. In the law, we see a true reflection of God's character. The reflection reveals that God is holy and righteous, but in the law, it also is a, it shows us a true reflection of ourselves and how sinful we are. You know, a mirror, when I get up and look in the morning, I go, oh my goodness gracious, I gotta wash that thing. I gotta put some soap on it. I gotta get a rag out. I gotta, I gotta clean up. But that mirror can't wash my face. The only thing it can do is it can just show me how, how dirty that I am. What it does is it, there has to be something that's required, soap and water required to, to wash my face. And it's the same with the law. The law reveals sin, but it is not the cleansing agent. It cannot cleanse us from our sin. It can only show us that we need to be cleaned. But what is it that cleanses us from our sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In verse 20, he says, for no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows how sinful we are. And then what has to be one of the most important verses we find within the scriptures and look at what Paul said there in verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, but the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Would you read that out loud? Did we have this on the screen in verse 20? Let me read this out loud. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, but the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Read that out with me one more time. Just read it out loud. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let that sink in for a second. So God has set the mark. He set up the target and it's out of reach of man. And no matter how good we are, we will never be good enough. Do you understand that? 
will never be good enough, regardless of how many good things that you do, regardless of how much you serve, regardless of how much you read the Bible, regardless of how many verses you memorize, regardless of how many mission trips you go, those things will not save you. No. Our goodness is like what? Filthy rags. I got to believe in my mind as Paul's writing this, Paul's thinking back to all the things that he could have used to place himself above other people. You know, he gives a list at one point. I, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. If there was anyone that had, had, they had the ability to feel good about where they were, it would have been me because, man, I fit every one of these, but I, man, I'm nothing. My life is a mess. And I don't know how you view yourself. Maybe, maybe you view yourself in the same light, you know, because, because you were raised in a Christian home or because of, you know, the, the good things that you do. Maybe you feel better about yourself. But Paul's taking this opportunity over these first three chapters to go, listen, buddy, you, you need to check yourself because you're not as good as you think you are. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because... It, It doesn't matter how good we think we are. Our goodness is not good enough. But here's God in his unconditional love saying, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do and I know how I'm going to rescue you. But before I rescue you, you have to come to the place of acknowledging your sin, admitting your sin and recognizing that you missed the mark. See, before we can ever come to know Jesus and accept Jesus and claim Jesus, believe that Jesus died for us, that he died for us, we have to first of all understand why he died. He died because we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. See, we are the purpose behind why Jesus would give his life as a sacrifice. We're that reason. And when we come to the place of recognizing that we're a sinner and we we come to the place of understanding that our goodness is not good enough and our righteousness is as filthy rags, when we come to that place, it's not only until we come into that place that we can be ushered in from this room that we've been interrogated and we come to understand ourselves that we can be ushered into a new room. And that new room is where we are placed upon us the robes of righteousness and that we become a child of the king. In closing, I just want to read this, this, uh, this passage. Well, it's not a passage. It's a saying. I don't know where it came from. I copied it. But I thought to myself, this says an awful lot. It says a tremendous amount. Listen to what this, the writer says. If you come to God as a braggart comes in the pride of your own way, then the God of grace will hide his face and send you empty away. If you come to God as a beggar comes with the plea of your bitter need, then the king of kings will give you good things and make you rich indeed. Salvation doesn't come because of our goodness, but it comes because we recognize Man, just how sinful we truly are. And I don't know what you're holding on to today, but if you're holding on to the goodness of your goodness, it doesn't cut it, people. 
Our goodness just doesn't cut it because our goodness is as filthy rags, unclean and unacceptable. So I don't know what you're trusting in today or what you're holding on to. But my prayer is, is that it would be Jesus because he's the only answer. The only answer. So Paul has been getting us to this place. He's been walking us through. Remember, he's speaking to those that would have valued their practices, their positions, their religion. And Paul's been breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down. The bad news, bad news. But next week, we usher in the good news that salvation comes by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Would you pray with me today? You know, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I, I want to say this. And what I want to say is, is um, I want us as a church family to understand it's only by God's grace, people, that the reality, as much as it may be hard to understand, is that every one of us are sinners, regardless of your position, regardless of your activity, your abilities. Every one of us in this room are sinners. Our life is a mess. The only goodness in us, the only righteousness, there is no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. So I don't know how you view yourself, but my prayer is that we all would understand the significance of our sin and that if it wouldn't have been for Jesus, there would be no hope at all. For those of us that are believers here today, it's a great day to give thanks to Jesus and be reminded of the price that he paid. For us to be reminded that all of us are sinners and with me being the chiefest of those. And just to say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. For the person that may be here today that has never trusted Christ, I want you to know that that today you have the ability to make the biggest decision that you'll ever make in your life. But that decision first begins with recognizing the fact that you're a sinner. Paul's done a pretty good job of pointing that out today. And I just want to say that if you don't know Christ right there where you are, you have the ability to say, Jesus, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I recognize that you gave your life for me. Today, I want to give my life to you. And right there where you are, you have the ability to make that decision, that life-changing decision that will change the trajectory, not only of your life, but the others' lives around you that surround you. Father, I thank you for the privilege we have of reading your word, for, for the fact of these guys like Paul that, that teach us 
that instruct us about your ways. I pray the day that we would be reminded of just how desperate we truly need you. Help us not to value those things that are worthless. Help us to take value in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I pray that the reality of our sin would make us very sensitive to people around us that are struggling in sin, that do not know you. Father, that the reality that we have the truth of the gospel, the hope of the gospel would, would cause us to want to be bold and courageous in, in, in our conversations with people as we come in contact with them throughout the week. That as the Lord is, is in the business place or in the schoolhouse or uh, Lord in our homes or uh, wherever we may find ourselves um, out on the ball fields that God that we would recognize that that as a child of the king that you have called me to be a light into the world just like you did the Jews back then that you've called me to be a light into a world a city on a not on a hill that would not be hidden but God you've called me to be bold to not just speak out your word but father to live your word and be obedient to your word God, I pray even for this next week for the privilege we have of being your representatives as we, as we go out to these places that you have placed us. That we would recognize the privilege we have of being your hands and feet. Father, I pray today and we give thanks for those, Lord, as we recognize all that you've done for us. And for the person that's here today, Lord Jesus, that doesn't know you even today, would it be the day that they would claim you as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and place their faith and move from death to life, from darkness to light. Father, I'm thankful for a church congregation, a family, Lord, Lord that believes this, that holds on to your word, that believes that it is your word and your word alone. Help us to be in prayer for one another. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to not be the example that, that Paul calls out here in reference to the tongue in conversation. May we be a people that uses our tongue to encourage instead of discourage, instead of tearing down to build up. Thank you for the privilege of reading your word, for the significance of your word, and the change that it makes when we're, when we're willing to receive it, accept it, believe it, and apply it. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.